0: This is the one-year Bible reading for April 14th, and we begin today in Joshua chapter 9, beginning in verse 3. But when the people of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, they resorted to deception to save themselves. They sent ambassadors to Joshua loading their donkeys with weathered saddlebags and old patched wineskins. They put on worn out patched sandals and ragged clothes and the bread they took with them was dry and moldy. When they arrived at the camp of Israel at Gilgal, they told Joshua and the men of Israel, "'We have come from a distant land "'to ask you to make a peace treaty with us.' The Israelites replied to these Hivites, "'How do we know you don't live nearby?' for if you do we cannot make a treaty with you they replied we are your servants but who are you joshua demanded where do you come from they answered your servants have come from a very distant country we have heard of the might of the lord your god and of all that he did in egypt we have also heard what he did to the two amorite kings east of the jordan river king sihon of heshbon and king og of bashan who lived in ashtaroth So our elders and all our people instructed us, take supplies for a long journey. Go meet with the people of Israel and tell them, we are your servants. Please make a treaty with us. This bread was hot from the ovens when we left our homes, but now, as you can see, it is dry and moldy. These wineskins were new when we filled them, but now they are old and split open, and our clothing and sandals are worn out from our very long journey. So the Israelites examined their food, but they did not consult the Lord. Then Joshua made a peace treaty with them and guaranteed their safety, and the leaders of the community ratified their agreement with a binding oath. Three days after making the treaty, they learned that these people actually lived nearby. The Israelites set out at once to investigate and reached their town in three days. The names of these towns were Gibeon, Kephira, Beroth, and Kiriath-Jerim, but the israelites did not attack the towns for the israelite leaders had made a vow to them in the name of the lord the god of israel the people of israel grumbled against their leaders because of the treaty but the leaders replied since we have sworn an oath in the presence of the lord the god of israel we cannot touch them this is what we must do we must let them live for divine anger would come upon us if we broke our oath let them live So they made them woodcutters and water carriers for the entire community as the israelite leaders directed joshua called together the gibeonites and said why did you lie to us why did you say you live in a distant land when you live right here among us may you be cursed from now on you will always be servants who cut wood and carry water for the house of my god they replied we did it because we your servants were clearly told that the Lord your God commanded his servant Moses to give you this entire land and to destroy all the people living in it so we feared greatly for our lives because of you that is why we have done this now we are at your mercy do to us whatever you think is right so Joshua did not allow the people of Israel to kill them But that day he made the Gibeonites the woodcutters and water carriers for the community of Israel and for the altar of the Lord, wherever the Lord would choose to build it. And that is what they choose to do, or that is what they do to this day. Adonai Zedek, Zedek, king of Jerusalem, heard that Joshua had captured and completely destroyed Ai and killed its king, just as he had destroyed the town of Jericho and killed its king. He also learned that the Gibeonites had made peace with Israel and were now their allies. He and his people became very afraid when they heard all of this because Gibeon was a large town, as large as the royal cities and larger than Ai. And the Gibeonite men were strong warriors. So King Adonai Zedek of Jerusalem sent messengers to several other kings. Hoham of Hebron, Piram of Jarmuth, Japhia of Lakshish, and Debir of Eglon. Come and help me destroy Gibeon, he urged them, for they have made peace with Joshua and the people of Israel. So these five Amorite kings combined their armies for a united attack. They moved all their troops into place and attacked Gibeon. The men of Gibeon quickly sent messengers to Joshua at his camp in Gilgal, Don't abandon your servants now, they pleaded. Come at once, save us, help us. For all the Amorite kings who live in the hill country have joined forces to attack us. So Joshua and his entire army, including his best warriors, left Gilgal and set out for Gibeon. Do not be afraid of them, the Lord said to Joshua, for I have given you victory over them. Not a single one of them will be able to stand up to you. Joshua traveled all night from Gilgal and took the Amorite armies by surprise. The Lord threw them into a panic and the Israelites slaughtered great numbers of them at Gibeon. Then the Israelites chased the enemy along the road to Beth Horon, killing them all along the way to Azekah and Makedah. As the Amorites retreated down the road from Beth Horon, the Lord destroyed them with a terrible hailstorm from heaven that continued until they reached Azekah. The hail killed more of the enemies than the Israelites killed with a sword. On the day the Lord gave the Israelites victory over the Ammonites, Amorites, uh, Joshua prayed to the Lord in front of all the people of Israel. He said, let the sun stand still over Gibeon and the moon over the valley of Aijalon." So the sun stood still and the moon stayed in place until the nation of Israel had defeated its enemies. Is this event not recorded in the book of Jashar? The sun stayed in the middle of the sky, and it did not set as on a normal day. There has never been a day like this one before or since when the Lord answered such a prayer. Surely the Lord fought for Israel that day. Then Joshua and the Israelite army returned to their camp at Gilgal. During the battle, the five kings escaped and hid in a cave at Makeda. When Joshua heard that they had been found, he issued this command. Cover the opening of the cave with large rocks and place guards at the entrance to keep the kings inside. The rest of you continue chasing the enemy and cut them down from the rear. Don't give them a chance to get back to their towns, for the Lord your God has given you victory over them. So Joshua and the Israelite army continued the slaughter and completely crushed the enemy. They totally wiped out the five armies, except for a tiny remnant that managed to reach their fortified towns. Then the Israelites returned safely to Joshua in the camp at Machita. After that, no one dared to speak even a word against Israel. Then Joshua said, Remove the rocks covering the opening of the cave and bring the five kings to me. So they brought out the five kings of the cave, out of the cave, the kings of Jerusalem, Hebron, Jarmuth, Lachish, and Eglon, When they brought them out, Joshua told the commanders of his army, Come and put your feet on the king's necks. And they did as they were told. Don't ever be afraid or discouraged, Joshua told his men. Be strong and courageous, for the Lord is going to do this to all your enemies. Then Joshua killed each of the five kings and impaled them on five sharpened poles, where they were hung until evening. As the sun was going down, Joshua gave instructions for the bodies of the kings to be taken down from the poles and thrown into the cave where they had been hiding. Then they covered the opening of the cave with a large pile of rocks, which remains there to this very day. That same day, Joshua destroyed the town of Makeda. He killed everyone in it, including the king, leaving no survivors. He destroyed them all and he killed the king of Makeda as he had killed the king of Jericho. Then Joshua and the Israelites went to Libna and attacked it. There, too, the Lord gave them the town and its king. He killed everyone in it, leaving no survivors. Then Joshua killed the king of Libna as he had killed the king of Jericho. From Libna, Joshua and the Israelites went to Lachish and attacked it. Here again the Lord gave them Lachish. Joshua took it on the second day and killed everyone in it, just as he had done at Libna. During the attack on Lachish... King Horam of Gezer arrived with his army to help defend the town, but Joshua's men killed him and his army, leaving no survivors. Then Joshua and the Israelite army went on to Eglon and attacked it. They captured it that day and killed everyone in it. He completely destroyed everyone, just as he had done at Lachish. From Eglon, Joshua and the Israelite army went up to Hebron and attacked it. They captured the town and killed everyone in it, including its king, leaving no survivors. They did the same thing to all its surrounding villages. And just as he had done at Eglon, he completely destroyed the entire population. Then Joshua and the Israelites turned back and attacked Debir. He captured the town, its king, and all of its surrounding villages. He completely destroyed everyone in it, leaving no survivors. He did to Debir and its king, just what he had done to Hebron and to Libna and its king. So Joshua conquered the whole region. The kings and the people of the hill country, the Negev, the western foothills, and the mountain slopes. He completely destroyed everyone in the land, leaving no survivors, just as the Lord, the God of Israel, had commanded. Joshua slaughtered them from Kadesh Barnea to Gaza and from the region around the town of Goshen up to Gibeon. Joshua conquered all these kings and their land in a single campaign, for the Lord, the God of Israel, was fighting for his people. Then Joshua and the Israelite army returned to their camp at Gilgal. Luke 16, beginning in verse 19. Jesus said, There was a certain rich man who was splendidly clothed in purple and fine linen and who lived each day in luxury. At his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus, who was covered with sores. As Lazarus lay there longing for scraps from the rich man's table, the dogs would come and lick his open sores. Finally, the poor man died and was carried by the angels to be with Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried, and his soul went to the place of the dead. There, in torment, he saw Abraham in the far distance with Lazarus at his side. The rich man shouted, Father Abraham, have some pity. Send Lazarus over here to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. I am in anguish in these flames. But Abraham said to him, Son, remember that during your lifetime you had everything you wanted, and Lazarus had nothing. And so now he is here being comforted, and you are in anguish. And besides, there is a great chasm separating us. No one can cross over to you from here, and no one can cross over to us from there. Then the rich man said, Please, Father Abraham, at least send him to my father's home, for I have five brothers, and I want to warn them so they don't end up in this place of torment. But Abraham said, Moses and the prophets have warned them. Your brothers can read what they wrote. The rich man replied, No, Father Abraham, but if someone is sent to them from the dead, then they will repent of their sins and turn to God. But Abraham said, if they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, they won't listen even if someone rises from the dead. One day, Jesus said to his disciples, there will always be temptations to sin. But what sorrow awaits the person who does the tempting? It would be better to be thrown into the sea with a millstone hung around your neck than to cause one of these little ones to fall into sin. So watch yourselves. If another believer sins, rebuke that person. Then, if there is repentance, forgive. Even if that person wrongs you seven times a day and each time turns again and asks forgiveness, you must forgive. The apostles said to the Lord, Show us how to increase our faith. The Lord answered, If you had faith even as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, May you be uprooted and thrown into the sea, and it would obey you. When a servant comes in from plowing or taking care of the sheep, does his master say, come in and eat with me? No, he says, prepare my meal, put on your apron and serve me while I eat. Then you can eat later. And does the master thank the servant for doing what he was told to do? Of course not. In the same way, when you obey me, you should say, we are unworthy servants who have simply done our duty. Psalm 83, a psalm of Asaph. O oh God, do not be silent. Do not be deaf. Do not be quiet, O oh God. Don't you hear the uproar of your enemies? Don't you see that your arrogant enemies are rising up? They devise crafty schemes against your people. They conspire against your precious ones. Come, they say, let us wipe out Israel as a nation. We will destroy the very memory of its existence. Yes, this was their unanimous decision. They signed a treaty as allies against you, these Edomites and Ishmaelites, Moabites and Hagrites, Gibelites, Ammonites and Amalekites, and the people from Philistia and Tyre. Assyria has joined them too and is allied with the descendants of Lot. Do to them as you did to the Midianites, and as you did to Sisera and Jabin at the Kishon River. They were destroyed at Endor and their decaying corpses fertilized the soil let their mighty nobles die as oreb and zeb did let all their princes die like Zeba and zalmuna for they said let us seize for our own use these pl- pasture lands of god O oh my god scatter them like tumbleweed like chaff before the wind as a fire burns a forest and as a flame sets mountains ablaze chase them with your fierce storm terrify them with your tempest Utterly disgrace them until they submit to your name, O Lord. Let them be ashamed and terrified forever. Let them die in disgrace. Then they will learn that you alone are called the Lord, that you alone are the Most High, supreme over all the earth. Proverbs 13:4. Lazy people want much but get little, but those who work hard will prosper. And to end, we're going back to Selwyn Hughes' teaching about the hind's feet. And this from Psalm 40. He set my feet upon a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. The more we are acquainted with the way a deer functions in its natural habitat, the more clearly we can see the spiritual lessons that God wants us to learn. While the male deer, the heart, is a wonderful example of sure-footedness, still more wonderful is the female, the hind. Those who have watched it leading its young in the f- hidden, into the hidden f- uh, fastness, fasten, yes, something, of the mountain peaks say that it is the most perfect example of physical coordination that God ever made. Why is this physical coordination so important? When a deer moves upwards over a steep mountain slope, it proceeds by leaping from one spot to another, and so it needs to be certain that its back feet will land on something solid. By positioning its front feet on something secure, it instinctively knows that its rear feet land there also it will and it will proceed upwards in safety if this were not so, the deer's back feet were to lo- and they were to land on loose rock, then it would slip and meet with serious injury, perhaps even death. This sense of perfect coordination is not something that the deer learns; it is an instinctive ability given to it by its creator. And what God has done for the deer in the natural realm, He is able to do for us in the spiritual realm. Listen again to the words of the psalmist He makes my feet like hinds' feet. Note the word makes. I find that deeply encouraging. It is not something I have to achieve on my own. He has a part in it too. And may I add, the biggest part. Oh, Father, help us understand that although you have the biggest part in making our feet like Heinz feet, it cannot be accomplished unless we, too, do our part. Thus, we willingly surrender to your divine purposes. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Love you all. Have a wonderful day.